Welcome to Making Our Own Stories, a podcast where a group of kids in Cleveland explore and think about their fu- think about the future of their neighborhood. My name is Jonathan, and I'm here with my friends. My name is Daniel. My name is Zoe. Today we're interviewing Jennifer Coleman. Hello there. So our first starting question will be, what do you think about your job? We got the gist of what you're doing your job, and I just want to know, about a little bit more about your job and how you think about it, what's your favorite part of it, just all that stuff. Well, I love my job very much. Um, I've had the pleasure of doing some very interesting things in my career. Um, I've been in my job for a year and a day, and what I do is I work for a foundation called the George Gunn Foundation. And my role there is to give money to arts organizations that are in Cleveland, Ohio. So uh, I just wake up in the morning. It's like, hey, you know, who, what arts organizations am I going to talk to today and find out some of the very interesting things that they're doing in the city? So that's really fun. Um, Before that, I practiced architecture. I was an architect for um, a long time. (laughs) And that was also fun. I uh, did a lot of work in the Cleveland area, a lot of buildings um, like the uh, Q Arena, in a couple of schools and the American Cancer Society headquarters are some of the projects that I worked on. So it was really nice to see Cleveland grow and have a lot of new and interesting buildings. Uh, so since I came out of school, I've really seen our landscape change for the better. Amazing. Did you always plan to go into architecture? Since I was about um, 15 years old, I decided that's something that I wanted to do. I was always very interested in art, so it served me both for what I'm doing now and my architecture career. And um, I always liked making things. So if it was drawing, if it was making clothes, I used to make and design clothes. Uh, podcasts. I did. I forgot to mention that I created a company called City Prowl that did podcasts. And I did tours around the city and in some of the neighborhoods and talked about some of the interesting history and the um, architecture that um, happened in Cleveland. There's a lot of things that people don't know about. And so I wanted to bring some of that to light. Well, I just want to say that's a lot like me. I loved building and stuff. So I got built picks for making our own space, which is like another thing for making our own stories, but it's like the building part. So like we do make our own stories so we can get you guys' ideas and figure out what we're gonna do for making our own space. Cause I, I always loved building. Uh, at the Boys and Girls Club, the St. Luke's one, at my school, the intergenerational school, we, after school we had the Boys and Girls Club and I go down there and then our janitor, Miss Mary, I was always, like, friends with her because she was really nice, and I'd help her after school because, like, we need community service points for to graduate, so I, I got the points for that. And I'd, I'd take boxes home, and then I'd go home and build stuff with it. So when I got the opportunity to do, to do Making Our Own Space, I loved it. Uh, I wanted to be an architect for a while, but then I decided I wanted to be a video game designer. So, yeah. There's a lot of things that are similar when you're looking at design, whether it's a building or whether it's video games. It's the same process, This something called design thinking, where you actually sort of have a problem. You, you find a problem or a challenge that you would like to solve, whether it is building a school or whether it is doing a video game that does certain things. So you really kind of go through the same thought process. So 
design is uh, something that's very wonderful and cool. Okay. I know you do many, many jobs and you've done many things. Um, what does your job mean to you or the jobs that you have completed? Well, it's really interesting at this point in my career is to see the arc and the things that have always interested me. Like I talked about art, and uh, when I was in school, I was um, I acted, and I really enjoyed um, my art class. So I was either doing photography or painting or sculpture or all kinds of different things. And uh, I also played piano and I sang. I was in two choirs. So that's something that is kind of funny thinking about what I did when I was a teenager in high school. And then now I'm actually working with groups and organizations that really have taken those things that I thought was really interesting and actually working with them. Um, with architecture, again, that idea and that, that um, interest that I had in making things and seeing something come to fruition uh, was really important. Um, whether sort of when, you know, friends had jobs that were maybe law or something that didn't have sort of a physical embodiment at the end of it, that sort of wasn't that interesting to me. Um, or corporate jobs where you're kind of a, I don't want to, sound negative, but you're kind of a cog in the process um, for like manufacturing. You're kind of responsible for, you know, different different pieces and parts of um, whatever it is that you're making. But uh, it really mattered to me to see like a building and know I was part of a team that actually put that thing, you know, made it a reality. So that's always sort of been a, a theme within my career. Um, what would you like to see more in the city as you continue to do what you do? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I would like to see one thing that's great about Cleveland is that we have a very diverse and rich arts and culture environment. There are lots of different organizations doing a lot of different things. And in a lot of those situations, for instance, theater, you have organizations that say, gee, you know, there is... Um, I don't see any theater companies that really work with women's issues or highlight women directors or women actors or women writers. So they sort of, that was a question that one particular organization had. So they just went out and formed a theater that focused really on promoting women in the theater arts um, business. So uh, you'll see that sort of layering of not just the usual sectors um, meaning theater and art, performing arts and visual arts, but there's just so much, so many organizations, some of them that are very old and established, and some of them that might be a year old. So it's just constantly evolving our arts and culture environment. And what's so cool about Cleveland is that we're not a huge city like a New York City or um, Chicago but we're very sophisticated in the array of arts organizations that we have. But we're also small enough that um, we're very friendly and we understand and help each other. So you a lot of times see collaborations and um, friendships that come about that create all kinds of different arts. So, so I think we have the best of both worlds here in our size and our sophistication. Um, what do you plan on doing after you get done with architecture and all? Um, would you plan on, you know, I think your... retiring, <laughs> maybe you... going on a really long cruise or something. 
<laughs> would you plan on owning your own business such as a construction site or anything like that? Uh, I had my own architecture firm for about 10 years. Uh, that's when I had my company City Prowl and um, Jennifer Coleman's Creative. So I really was able to do projects that really interested me. Uh, construction, that is a different discipline, sort of building the buildings versus designing the buildings. Um, so that really wasn't that much of an interest to me. Um, so really from, I kind of retired from architecture, at least for now, while I'm working at the Gun Foundation and um, being a, um, a program officer. Um, how did you get the money, you know, to start your own business? Well, you don't always need money to start it. It's not like you need a big pile of cash and I'm going to start my own business. My firm was located at home. I had a computer and um, I, I started my um, podcast business, City Prowl, and uh, my arch architecture business at the same time. So really, um, I use my experience working for other firms. So I kind of brought that experience and knowledge base that I got working for other firms and started the architecture. And really, it was, I think, you know, I got some business from the firm that I worked with beforehand. And again, that sort of smallness of Cleveland, kind of there's a word of mouth that came out. So I just started to get some calls, some phone calls about, hey, would you do this project for me or um, this planning study? So that's how that worked. And then I got money <laughs> from those projects and invested it back into the business. And um, that's how things happened. I actually got a grant for City Prowl from um, an organization called the Civic Innovation Lab that unfortunately is not around anymore. But it was a series of grants to businesses or even ideas for people who had ideas that would um, help make the city better. So uh, I went in front, I presented my idea and thought that these podcasts, which would be tours that were essentially be available so people can take them at any time since they were recorded and I didn't have to sort of schedule tours and have them be scheduled and then it would rain and then there was all kinds of chaos. You know, I wanted these tours to be available if it was lunchtime or over the weekend, people could do their tours at their schedule. So um, I did get a grant for $30,000 and that was a, I was able to buy equipment, my computers and what we have right here with um, nice um, microphones and I got someone who understood what a podcast was and so they taught me he was my, my um, engineer and um, was off to the races with that. Okay. What exactly is a grant? A grant is money. Um, it is um, a funding grant. You do an application, like uh, just like you're going to school maybe when you're in college, you have to write an application of why you would be great to go to this school. So 
this is very similar to that, and you send it off to the school, and they make a decision. So this is similar to foundations, which are organizations that um, want to really, I guess the short answer on that is invest in orga- or people or organizations that in some way um, help with their objectives. So for the George Gunn Foundation, we're very interested in Cleveland and seeing Cleveland be as successful as it can. So we actually look at five different program areas. My area, art, is one. But we also look at economic development, which uh, a lot of times building buildings and uh, job creation are some of the, the subjects there. We look at social services education and the schools and the environment and a lot of sustainable issues. So those are the five areas. We um, ask for submissions and applications from people or organizations. In this case, we work with organizations um, that basically give us their ideas on why what they're doing is going to make a great impact for Cleveland. And uh, we act on those. What were some of the challenges with your um, own business? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Number one, since it was, um, uh, I was a sole proprietor, which meant it was me. And if I wanted engineers or people to help me out, I just hired them as consultants. So sometimes it was a little, it was different. Number one, being not in an office with a bunch of other people so you could ask questions. Luckily, um, things like Facebook came about. So if I got kind of bored or, you know, drawing something or trying to figure out a problem, I could just sort of post something on Facebook. Um, So it wasn't, you know, man to man or, you know, people talking, but it was, I did get some sort of interaction there. Um, Let's see, what else was a challenge? Always looking for jobs, trying to get paid, I think, you know, regularly. That's one thing uh, when you have your own business or your entrepreneurs, you really have to, um, you know, drum up your own business. So getting your name out there. Uh, Other things that uh, were kind of funny, I became very good at um, being an IT person. And I learned so much about fixing my computer. I I could probably have a business fixing computers because I was a boss at like installing and reinstalling things and figuring out how to do all stuff that usually you could just say, hey, Joe, my computer's busted. Come and fix it. I was Joe. Uh so now that we got that stuff away, like we learned a little bit about you, what you do, all that information, your struggles, your what's the opposite of struggle? Triumphs. <laughs> your triumphs. And I want to know what do you think we should do with the neighborhood, like with Brent Oval and all that. Like, what do you want to be done? Well, I think um, the area where your school is in Brit Oval, I was just out there a couple of days ago and saw a play, and I thought it was really interesting um, and wonderful to see a play, an outdoor play. It did rain a little bit, and I think people were freaking out just a tad, but it was not. It was a wonderful area for um, activities like, like theater or maybe dance. Um I, it would be wonderful to see the housing. There's lots of plans for housing around the Oval. And from what I'm hearing, that that project might be coming back in some, some ways. So it would be a very different space to have housing around it. And you could really kind of appreciate the, the open space without having a lot more open space around it. 
So I've been struggling with this question a couple of days ago when we went out and did that podcast. When we went out to the uh, station, we were wondering, uh, we were wondering, why is it called Buckeye? Is it because of the flower or the tree or the Buckeye? Can you answer that question? I think it's kind of a boring um, answer for you, which is there's a street called Buckeye, and that's how the neighborhood, a lot of the neighborhoods in um, Cleveland are are named after a major street that goes through it. Buckeye is a uh, the our state tree, is it? Yeah, tree. So there is that um, connection there. I don't think that the area was known for Buckeye trees, though, but. That would be interesting to explore. But it's an old name, so it's been around for a while. Um, I have a question. Do you have any, you know, suggestions for Brit Oval as we continue to work on that area? Well, the area is now very, um, it has a lot of different uses. There's housing, there's schools, there's still a medical component, I think. Um, is the medical center still there? Is it? I don't know. Uh, Okay, so it's senior housing. So what would be great is to see it be used by the people who live there or work there. So um, it also should be flexible so that it might be you know, used for something, a park that the school kids could use, but there might be a need, especially for senior housing, something that can also support uh, seniors as they are um, sort of going about their business. So it's not like, okay, let's just make it all a playground, because if that's the case, then maybe the seniors wouldn't be so excited about going out and swinging on swings and sort of doing jumping jacks and things. But you could combine those two, and really I know that there is an area close to Buckeye that um, is specifically for seniors, sort of, oh, I don't want to say a playground, but an active area for them. So that's a good way, or folks who might want to sit and just sort of check out kids doing what they, because that's fun to watch kids play games and things like that. Um, also, I think the art component and keeping some space for, for you know, uh, a stage that, you know, you could have um, bands come in and play and people can come out and watch that, but you could also have the theater experience, which um, they had this week. So... Uh, you might want sort of areas that can be divided since it is a pretty large space. It can be divided into different activities. I agree with that a lot. Like, I went to summer camp over the summer, and I was saying, like, we could have a like, Gaga pick because that's the game we learned. And, like, we could have all these different things. And, like, we have the magic carpet, which is just like an area where, like, people can lay down. Maybe we can add some benches. And then we could add, like, a little stage so people can eat. And a lot of people, like, maybe do a presentation or something like that. Maybe uh, our school or even Harvey Rice can go out there and then just have fun or just come out there. And it's an area that all ages can have fun. Mm-hmm. And also maybe some area that's protected. So maybe it has a covering, maybe a little roof or trellis. So if it's a really, if it's raining, number one, people have an area that they can gather. Or if it's super hot and kind of sunny like it was earlier, you can get some shade or you can have that band play. So that's always nice with outdoor space to have some sort of protection over it, but not the whole thing. But again, it's a variety of ways to experience the space. The first time last year when we first started building picnic tables and all, 
they were um, weak and short and all. And then this year we decided to redesign it and make it longer and stronger. So this time they wouldn't be able to break it as well. Um, there are a few mistakes or whatever that needs to be, you know, redone. And we're going to make those, you know, correct those mistakes and all. Um, well, that's really cool because of the fact that when you first built it, you learned a lot from that first sort of prototype that you did. And a lot of times someone can tell you, you know, you could do a design and either do it on computer or on a piece of paper, and everyone will be like, yeah, that looks pretty good. You might want to look at this thing. But um, when you actually built it and have the people, in this case the seniors, can give you input back so that you can go back, that, you know, that really is sort of one of the best. And a lot of times it's looked at, um, in a negative way, if some things need to be fixed, like, oh, it's not working, it's a failure, wah. But, um, you know, when you have that time to experiment and and get input, because sometimes the things that you think in theory, like as you're designing it, or the things that you believe are going to work one way, actually work out in another way. So um, it's great to have that input, and you know the the seniors are really part of the design, just like you guys built it and figured out what it, you wanted it to look like. As the user, you get a lot of really important information from them. So it, there might be questions about you know things, even small details like um, you know the screws you use. Maybe after a year, you might say, oh, these screws might get a little rusty. Maybe we want to use a different one. So that all that information kind of goes into your head is knowledge and experience. So, you know, two years down the line, you might be, you know, at a hardware store or something, and someone will ask you a question, and you've got all this knowledge about how to build the best picnic table ever. But it comes after that continuous refinement that you guys are doing. So that's a good lesson. One of the things I definitely like to get done with the city would be like like the station area, like where the RTA comes in. I'd like to get that area painted, cleaned up for trash and stuff. I just it's just nasty. Like I wish it would be nicer. Like just going down to the RTA, like I don't take the RTA, but when we went down with Justin, it was it was just, I didn't like it. Like, we saw this giant bug that we were trying to figure out what it was, and we were really scared. It was like a giant moth that a rat had bitten a piece off of it. So it was just weird. Like, we want to get things done with it, have it painted, maybe spray painted, get some artwork done. Well, I think your your wish might come true because I know that area, especially as you um, come up the tracks, the, the rapid stop, is RTA is looking at that and um, has some plans actually to give you a little secret. My husband is an architect and his firm is looking specifically at that stop. So I know that they have some things, even more than painting it and cleaning it up, but actually doing a design that is inspirational. So there's lots of kids who are coming along, um, going to school. So uh, they want to do something that really makes kids, as they pop off that rapid, they're like, wow, I'm coming to school. This is going to be great. You know, this is a really nice place. And it really feels like, you know, the, the trip from the rapid stop to school is going to make me excited about going to school every day. So hopefully that will be starting sometime in the near future. 
and uh, hopefully that'll be nice and clean all the time and keep you happy and safe. I hope so, too. Okay, well, why don't the rest of you, what are you? You guys are around 14, which is a really interesting age. My son is 14, and um, it's very interesting to sort of look at his his um, viewpoint on the world and the things that he would like to see change and how he can kind of fit into that. So what do you guys, What is what do you think about Cleveland? What are the things that you'd like to see? Um, I like Cleveland. It's um, it's all right, especially since we won a championship, two championships. Yay. I'm really excited about that. Um, what I would like to see change. Um, I want to see like more, like parks and stuff, and I want to do more downtown still. Like I want to see more, uh, certain type of restaurants and all. What kind of restaurants? Uh. Uh, J- Japanese restaurants. I, I don't get. I'm half Latino as well, so it doesn't really matter. I eat anything, so yeah. I agree with him. I love Japanese food, but I will really want some Olive Gardens, some IHOPs, place, just everything that just every restaurant, like a huge plaza with every restaurant I love, and then a GameStop <laughs> right there, just like. Get like arcades, get out of the arcade, smash and food, go back to the arcade. Oh, a friendly place for me. And a great place for that is the suburbs. They're really good to have all those kind of. <laughs> yeah, but I like really rural places because I, I like my quiet and I like And hunting. that's the suburbs. See, that's good. You know, downtown there's like lots of buildings right on top of each other. So also issues like parking that you can see at malls that are in the suburbs are kind of good for that. So downtown it might be hard to to, you know, parking is always a challenge, and that's probably a subject for another podcast. But, um, you know, it's it's good to see a lot of really different things downtown. And sometimes you can go to a lot of different cities and see the same Olive Garden and Game Stops and Subways. And that's cool. So what you're saying is if I go to the suburbs, there'll be a lot of IHOPs, Olive Gardens, Game Stops, and all those places. Absolutely, that's what I'm saying. Bye, guys. <laughs> um, to answer your question, I've lived in Cleveland like forever, so I'm pretty used to it. Um, something I'd like to see—I don't know, like how this would happen—but just something to bring the youth um, and the older generations together, because you know I see a lot of, like I would say. Um, negative things happening and I think it's nice to have a positive impact with everyone you know all generations that's something that uh, I know that there is one neighborhood in Cleveland kind of close to us that has housing that is for like grandparents that um, are raising their grandkids so that is actually an area that architects and planners are looking at to see what is needed when you have maybe babies or preschoolers, kids that are young enough to be running around, but you might have a grandparent that isn't able to, to sort of match that. So architecturally, um, what sort of housing would fit both the little and the not so little? And as the, the um, children, children get older, 
So it's really interesting, I think, um, and very cool. I think that's the first, hopefully there's some more on coming online, of really looking at ways that young folks and older folks can interact. Uh, there's also a planning initiative called 8 to 80 Cities for kids that are eight years old, but also work with uh, people that are 80 years old. So everyone has like very specific needs as they go about and uh, enjoy their city and enjoy their lives. So, so that's really, really a nice thing to, to include, especially as a young person perspective. Yeah, I think that is um, like a beautiful place and um, a great thing like the 80, I mean, eight to 80 and the um, housing for grandparents and children. Um, it is, I have grown up in like a very intergenerational place because that is what my school is called, the intergenerational school, where we have like kindergarten all the way to eighth grade. So it's, and we're not separated by classrooms, like we always see everybody. So we're always together. And so you always see younger kids and younger kids learning from older kids and even older kids learning from younger kids. She's very good. I think it um, it promotes patience and a um, a desire to learn in any situations and understanding that if you are 16 years old, there's things that a preschooler might sort of help change and give you give you a different perspective on life. And that's a that's a lesson that kind of goes by very fast. And especially in schools, we don't necessarily uh, look look towards that, especially when you chop up, you know, primary kids versus middle school kids versus high school kids. You don't really have a lot of inner time to interact with with children. So that's one thing the intergenerational school is is very cool of recognizing that and promoting. So what? Okay, so like I'm gonna stay on this topic for like just one question, not really a question, but a comment and a question. So basically. I really like how we're building the park because last year, like, we had, like, the area where we'd play football, and it got taken away because, like, the little kid needed somewhere to play. So we had that little fenced-in area, so they got to play right there. So I'm hoping this year they'll be able to play on, like, all the stuff that we build, and they'll be able to go into that area, and they'll have a nicer place where they can play mm-hmm. instead of just an open field where they're just going to play, chase each other, and maybe get hurt. Right. So safety is another issue that's really important, and especially for the little guys because they don't always know, hey, let me run out into the street. You know, they don't really have that um, sort of knowledge of of safety to know when and what you can do. So um, as opposed to teenagers that know, well, if the ball goes in the street, let me stop for a minute and look and make sure that there's not a car coming before I go get it. So um, those differences, not just kids playing and the idea of this is a great space for kids to play, but this is a great space for kids of these ages to play. And again, with the um, mission of your school of how kids can mix and you can have older kids playing with younger little preschoolers, uh, that also sort of factors into the design process. Hi. Um, I just wanted to know, um, did you grow up here and what were your connections with Cleveland or our neighborhood? Oh, yeah. My family has been in Cleveland, I think, for over 100 years. My great-granddad came from Virginia. Actually, both of them did. Um, so I grew up in the Harvard Lee area and, uh, stayed there until I was a teenager and then moved to Shaker. And, uh, when I went away to college, came back, 
I had a little house in Cleveland Heights, and now I live in the Cleveland area around University Circle Midtown. So I've always been a Clevelander and um, really love being here. Where did you go to college? I went to Cornell, which is in Ithaca, New York, and studied architecture. What high school did you go to? Like, did you go to high school? Like, I know your parents came, your grandpa came down to Virginia. Like, did you ever go back up to Virginia for, like, high school or anything? No, I went to, to a girls' school, Laurel School, and Shaker Heights. Actually, what we call junior high then. I started in seventh grade. I've always wanted to go to junior high, but is that for girls? <laughs> I've, I've heard of junior high. I wasn't sure if that junior was like... Junior high for girls. No, it is... The, well, the, Laurel is a girls' school. Um, junior high is what we used to call middle school. I was in school a oh. couple of years ago when we used the term junior high. <laughs> but it's middle school. Middle school. Okay. Did you minor in anything in college? Were there any other um, options that you wanted to go into? Well, it's very interesting about architecture. It is a five-year. You get a bonus year, and um, the degree is a Bachelor of Architecture. It is pretty intense, and if you go to school that has an architecture division or department, um, you never see them because we all just work and work and work. And um, we're all very, it's usually a kind of smallish school. So everyone is uh, with, you know, there's, I think, uh, 75 kids in my freshman class, which is actually huge. Uh, you, by the time we graduated, there were 40 kids in the class. So it's very rigorous. It's very hard to have a minor or another subject, even to play a sport or be in. Um, I started off, I was in the uh, Cornell Chorus, I believe it was called. Um, but it was very hard to do a lot of that with the rigorous study of architecture, too. Um, I actually want a bachelor's, too, mm -hmm. uh, except in a different category. But what were, like, the steps in all that you had to take in all? To get into the school or to... Like, as you was working through, you know, the bachelors and all? Uh, usually schools are, there is one main class, which is a studio, design studio. So you ha usually have um, two semesters for five years of studio, we call it studio. Um, usually the class itself meets three times a week for about four hours for the afternoon. And you meet with your professor, you usually get a problem like, you know, design, you know, studio. You start off with small projects and then you get very large. You could end up designing a city or skyscrapers. We did that, I think, my third year. I actually, um, for my fifth year, which you have to do a thesis project, I picked a um, or archaeological study at a dig in Greece on an island called Santorini. So uh, that was kind of big, and um, it was existing. I had gone to Greece the summer before my fifth year. So they get larger. Your projects get larger. They get more complicated, and you spend lots of time beyond those um, hours that you have in studio working on those projects. And then you present them at the um, end of the semester or actually a couple of times. It's like the big, big, massive exam. Um, you also take structures class, which is basically physics, how buildings stand up. You study architectural history, you study planning. There's a little bit of art classes that go on. I actually 
if you knew how old I was, this would be impressive, but I'm not going to tell you that. I took um, computer, um, computer design classes because um, we worked exclusively drawing with our hands and at that point, and uh, computers really weren't, they were just coming online and sort of how to program and how to um, actually put programs together was something that was kind of interesting for me. So I took a couple of courses and the rest of it is hazy. <laughs> I don't remember what I took. It was all hard though. <laughs> Thank you. Well, thanks for letting us podcast you. You're very cooperative. I it was I thought it was gonna be a little hard, but it was actually pretty easy. It was better than I expected. Well I'm glad for that. You guys are fun. Thank you for like he said, thank you for, you know, letting us interview and you and all and giving us some personal information. <laughs> You're welcome. Making Our Own Stories is a project of Kent State University's Cleveland Urban Design Collaborative and is made possible by a grant from the Cleveland Foundation's Minority Arts and Education Fund. The kids are participating with the permission of their parents. It's produced by Jesse Hawkins, Ellen Sullivan, D'Angelo Knuckles, Justin Glanville, and me, David Jerka. Our online producer and photographer is Beth Conway, and our music is courtesy of DJ Doc Harrell and the kids at Fresh Camp a hip-hop recording camp that helps students re-envision Cleveland neighborhoods. Special thanks to the Boys and Girls Club of Cleveland, Cleveland Public Library, and Nelson Beckford of the St. Luke's Foundation. Check out our website and get in touch at wearemoose.org stories. And follow the Cleveland Urban Design Collaborative on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm just trying to do my own thing. Stay true to me and be on my own wings. Ain't nobody gonna push me down cause I am like a queen that's ahead of the crown. Yeah, independent woman stand up. What you gotta do is push your hands up. You gotta be true to you, don't be a fool. So just don't stand there like a sad, sad soul. Anything is possible. Together we can get through any obstacle. I've got to stand strong, and that's why I am in this beautiful song.